Hi there, this is John Mitchell, and you're listening to Sonic Perspectives. to another interview here at Sonic Perspectives. My name is Austin Coquel, contributing author and interviewer with the Sonic Perspectives team, and we are a few weeks away from the release of the final album in the initial Lonely Robot trilogy, Under Stars. And today I'm chatting with the mastermind of the Lonely Robot project, who's also known for his work with Arena, Kino, It Bites, and Frost, and for his new indie label, White Star Records, Mr. John Mitchell. Hello, John. How are you, sir? Hey, how are you doing? You are right? Good times? I'm great times. Good to be talking to you. So uh, I understand. Too. Thank you. Uh, as of this recording, you're out on the road with Arena right now. As we've seen a few of your beloved tour diary entries, are the Billy Bunters being kind to you? And uh, how much ham and cheese have you ingest- ingested thus far? Uh, how much what have I ingested thus far? Ham and cheese. Oh, not not a jot of ham and cheese. I should point <laughs> out. That's the remit of mainland Europe. You know, the moment we're in England and we just get buyouts, so they give us 25 quid a day. And we go around and we can spend 25 quid a day on sweets or we can spend it on grass cuttings, but we don't, there's no sign of ham and cheese. I'm very pleased about oh, that. Cloud nine. I, I won't be, I, I, I'm just, you know, I'm building my, I'm getting my armor on for ham and cheese, which is happening <laughs> in about 48 hours. Uh, fighting the good fight. Well, good luck. Uh, so last year I was lucky enough to review, speaking of Arena, uh, Double Vision, but also Kino's Radio Voltaire album. And uh, I interviewed Pete Trawavis about that album's release, which was also through Inside Out, uh, as well as Lonely Robots' output, of course. And they've done Frost and a lot of releases. So um, yep. they're arguably the most prestigious prog label on the planet, I would say. So what what does it mean to have their continuing, ongoing support for your music? Well, it's you know, it means a lot. I mean, it's good to have a beacon. Um, you know, it, the sea of prog is is not the world. You know, the world's largest sea. It's it's a, you know, it's it's a specialist thing. I think I described it recently to being on an island surrounded by small island surrounded by people that love love what they uh, you know what they you know it's like surrounded by people that like books and cool things and you know it's a it, it's you know prog is 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 basically the, you know the underdog's music isn't it let's mm-hmm. be honest and uh, and I I've got no I've got absolutely no problem with that you know I'm 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 totally down with it and and obviously at one point in time prog was a, was a, a massively popular genre of music and perhaps you know we always pretend that there's a resurgence of prog, but I, I, I evidence to the contrary or whatever. You know, it's difficult to say in these current times because, of course, the you know, record sales are down due to streaming, blah de blah. So it's difficult to know how popular prog is. Mm-hmm. You've got no real gauge. Um, but Inside Out, you know, they've always been there for me. Um, I've been on Inside Out doing various things. One way or the other, since the uh, the turn of the new millennium, pretty much since yeah. I did the uh, the first Urbane album with them, which was Glitter, and then I did the first Kino album in 2005. So yeah, you know, I've uh, I've been a sort of uh, part of the furniture, shall we say? But yeah. they've uh, you know, Thomas has always been very supportive with me. So you know, it's uh, yeah, it's a it's a good thing to have you know yeah. the support of a label that believes in what you do, and of course, 
you know, they don't just release any old nonsense. And it's good to know that I'm not any old nonsense, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and as I've said, that it seems funny that nowadays you don't need a record label, but in some ways you need a record label more than ever to actually guide you through the, the, the tumult of the current music industry. I don't, I, you know, there's a lot of philosophies about this. You know, mm -hmm. there's a, there are those people that say, well, you know what, you can, you can release your own music and, you know, and there's no, there's no labels anymore. And there's, you know, you can make all the money yourself and all the blah, de blah, de blah. And the, the bottom line is that to be absolutely truthful with you, it's a good and a bad thing because no one's trying to repress people's freedom of expression, but it's very easy for, you know, back in the day, you would have bands that could really play and sing live, you know, like the Eagles that could really, they got signed because they were a good band and they put the hours in, you know, and it's very easy certainly in the sphere of prog to put, you know, into the same <clears throat> pantheon, you know, people that just do it at the weekend for a bit of a laugh and, mm -hmm. and, and don't have the same quality control or perhaps the same ability or same talent as songwriters. It's, it's very easy for a whole thing to get lumped together with absolutely no sight whatsoever of the fact that, you know, some of it's just a bit rubbish and some of it's really stellar. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and then the other problem is for those who are decent and doing it on their own, it's it's a tree in the forest, but no one hears it. You know, it's it's does it make a sound? You know, if if there's no one to help get the word out or anything, it's it's hard to be found. Well, I I I I think that Rick Wakeman said it once. He said if a band is good enough to be signed, they'll be signed. You know, it's it's yeah. like, you know, the, the the record industry is is full of you know almost rands and people that kind of did it. And maybe I'm an almost ran. I don't know, but I do think I have something. You know, maybe I was. You could argue that I was born into the wrong decade because actually the music I like doesn't belong in this decade. And, it's, you know, it's a niche thing now. But at the end of the day, you know, I know that I have certainly some currency in the world of music production. You know, whether or not people like the music that I write yeah. is another matter altogether. But certainly I, I do think that, you know, my life is all about music and I've certainly devoted it to it. So, I you know, I don't, you know, I'm not some bitter guy that goes, why am I not, you know, Sir Paul McCartney? Because <laughs> yeah. Sir Paul McCartney is Sir Paul McCartney. Yeah. And my, you know, my role in the world is to uh, to be the guy that kind of uh, does what he does. That's that, that's uh, that's Planet Mitchell. And yeah. uh, you know, as long as I can do what I want to do and make the music that I want to do and go sailing occasionally and muck about with old cars, I'm perfectly happy. Believe yeah. you me. Now, rumor had it that Radio Voltaire, last year's Kino album, was originally intended to be the next Lonely Robot album, but it went in a different direction. Now that you're releasing Under Stars, how do you feel about the two albums each having their own separate lives and identities from each other? Well, let me just start by saying that's not true, actually. Okay. Uh, I, I, it wasn't intended to be the next. The music wasn't intended to be. I think wires have got crossed. <clears throat> the music on Radio Voltaire was only ever supposed to be the music on Radio Voltaire. I don't kind of sit around writing music willy-nilly just going okay well this might be good for that and that might, when the time comes to make an album it's time to make an album and so it, the, the, the point was I was originally supposed to do the well I wasn't supposed to I, I you know I, I wanted to get straight on with doing the next Lonely Robot album I was kind of on a bit of a roll and and it was suggested to me why don't we do this instead because mm. you know it perhaps you're you're overreaching the mark with Lonely Robot you've yeah. just done this and you've done that but the thing is you know I haven't made music intensively for the best part of uh, 10 years or so when I did it bites, you know, so it was kind of, I felt like I had a lot to get off my chest. So, so I kind of channeled it into a different area, which is, sounds a bit skeptical, I suppose, to, to a lot of people, but uh, you know, I, you know, I, I like making music. It's what I think it's what I'm good at. So I kind of wanted just to keep working and, 
uh, I didn't have any songs written for Radio Voltaire when we started doing it. So, no, the, the, the two paths never crossed. So, you know, I kind of, I don't have a big, uh, you know, uh, a storeroom full of songs ready to go at any one time. I kind of just write when I need to write an album and I get into the head zone of the album and then off we go. So they've got the two have got nothing to do with each yeah. other. Which is good because, yeah, a lot of people just have a, a phone full of melodies that they sing into their voice recorder or whatever, and they just carry that around and use it as a database. It's interesting to hear that you set out to do this thing and you do that thing, and it's pretty cool. Well, um, you know, it's it's like it's like writing a book. You don't sit around going, you know, or rather, you do sit around. You don't sit, you know, you don't you don't write half a book until somebody goes, oh, "Why don't you write a book?" You know, you kind of, you know, the author, you know, the the, the publishing house goes, "Well." Okay, here's a deal to write a book. You know, now go and write a book. You don't have half a book. Well, maybe you do have half a book written, but I didn't have half a book written. Yeah. I, I was just like it was suggested to me that we kind of, you know, do a Kino record, which is something I haven't done since 2005, and I seemed quite excited at the prospect of doing that. And it was nice to the idea of doing something, just where pretty much anything went. You know, you could like you know write songs about the decline of the textile industry, or Pete could write songs about this, that, and the other. And you know, we kind of just did it, and it was it, you know it was nice to collaborate again. So uh, your Frost bandmate Jem Godfrey has talked about how prolific you are, <laughs> and sort of joked that uh, you know in the time it takes him to crank out one album, you probably crank out three. Uh, paraphrasing there, but um, so with uh, the new album Under Stars it sounds like you had a really intense five-week session for just cranking this thing out and just locking yourself in the dungeon, so to speak. So what was that like for creating this one? Well, I mean, I'd like to start by saying Jem is an extremely workmanlike guy. He works, you know, he's got a very good work ethic, but, you know, he devotes his time to, to uh, you know, he, he, he has a very successful career as, as a music producer, and he works for a company called Wise Buddha, and they, you know, they create a lot of the music that you hear on radio in England and a lot of the incidental stuff you hear on music in England. So he's a very busy guy. So oh, yeah. let's not for one minute think that he doesn't yeah, have his head yeah. to the, the grindstone. The difference with me is, you know, I do absolutely nothing outside of, <laughs> you know, uh, producing the odd rock band and doing this. So, you know, when you set me loose on a task, I'm like a ferret, you know, I'm kind of like... Uh, it's not like he doesn't, you know, Jem would be equally prolific. If somebody said you're never allowed to work on in radio again, you just have to do Frost records. Believe you me, he, you know, he's he's as creative and as as, as spontaneous and as as workmanlike as I am. It's just that he, you know, <laughs> directs his his uh, his talent in, in into other areas a lot of the time. So as much as I'm, I find that a massive compliment, it's kind of like I'm I'm just lazy <laughs> most of the time. I'm, that's my resting state is lazy. So. Thank you, Jem. But you know, I am a lazy guy, and you know, when 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 the need comes along to make an album, uh, you know, I'm the last person I want to stand and sit in front of the computer with a guitar. But when I do it, you know, it's like putting rocket fuel on something. I just get, you know, I get in the zone, and that's kind of what it's like. So, what's it like? Yeah, it's very, it's very, uh, it's exhausting, and it certainly feels like an ending when you get to the end of it. And it's, um, I actually remember when finished under stars and, you know, uh, you know, going around a friend's house and, and, you know, playing it for the first time. And it was just like, I kind of got quite emotional because it had been five weeks of just getting up at seven in the morning. That's just actually a normal person's job, isn't it really? Just getting up <laughs> at fucking seven in the morning, finishing work at nine and not having a day off. I suppose that's just normal people's lives. So I, I, I shouldn't really take any credit for it. It's just that people don't realize I don't do anything else. So making music's pretty easy. Yeah. 
So there are some uh, fantastic melodies on this album, especially the just the huge choruses, and even more than just what you know most listeners have heard in the couple of singles that have been released so far. Um, I mean, how how do you know when you've got a melody that you think, okay, this is the one for this song, or you know, how do you kind of separate these disparate elements out into all the various songs on here? Well, that's not how it works at all. You kind of you kind of focus on it as, as a song to song basis. You wake up in the morning and this is what I do. I wake up in the morning and I go, oh, look, okay, right, right song. What's this song going to be called? And I look in my book of songs and I, a title captures my imagination and I say, right, that sounds interesting. And what's this about? And then before you know it, you've already written it. And then as for the melody, well, I, you know, it, I don't, you don't sit around calculating a melody. It just, it just sort of comes out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you have a, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to sound pompous in any way, but it's kind of like, you know, it appears. If you have, a, you know, it's like Radiohead high and dry. I'm not comparing myself to Radiohead, but that's such a beautiful melody. You know, there there are people that, you know, have a, there was a, <clears throat> a lot of rock bands that were around in the 70s who just, everything was pentatonic, you know, like minor thirds and fives and stuff. And that stuff to me is, is absolutely pedestrian. So I kind of beat that out of myself at an early age. I always liked the, you know, the way that, that Sting and the police, you know, it was always nines and sevens and interesting kind of variants on that and interesting intervals, you know, the way the vocal jumps around the place. And like, for example, uh, Dry Land um, by How We Live and Marillion, that's a really interesting vocal melody. So these things always jump out to my ears. And if they don't jump out to my ears, I force them to. So it's not like I sit around, it's, it's, I, I say I don't calculate it, but you know it comes to you pretty quickly. It's obvious. It's it's something. I suppose that's the uh, that's the kind of. I suppose that's the skill. If there is a skill, that is the skill in having a sense of melody. I suppose. Yeah. Well, I remember with uh, Kim Savior when you worked on her her debut album, she she would kind of write lyrics and you'd just kind of go off in your own direction and you know four or five hours later come out with basically a fully produced song for her to sing on. And I remember her that's saying, correct. yeah, how just amazed she was at, at just the the work ethic of just, you know, cranking these things out because other people can get, you know, writer's block for weeks and months and you just, you know, set down to do it. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm very fortunate and maybe that'll, you know, maybe that'll stop next year. I don't know, but I'm, <laughs> I'm very fortunate in that. I mean, obviously, you know, anybody can write a song and it can be about the decline of the textile industry. It can be about a red balloon. It can be about, you know, the, you know, your bin man forgetting to put the bins out or whatever. You know, it's you know, you can write a song. Is it any good? It's you know, it's all relative. Yeah. I think, I think that what I do has value. I think you know the, the album that I made with Kim certainly. You know, um, it was I. It's it's important to have a you know if nothing else. Whatever you do in life, it's important to have a method, and it's important to be dis- disciplined to that method. You know, and with Kim, you know. I had to sit down sometimes and go, you need to write lyrics for this now because I don't, I get that not everybody goes along with my work ethic and I'm a bit fastidious and I, you know, I kind of, and she came around my house and she was sitting on the sofa and I had to send her upstairs a couple of times and go, write some lyrics. You're not coming out of this room till you've written some lyrics. <laughs> and I'm not, you know, but, the, but then again, it's like, when are we going to write the lyrics? You know, if I, if I send her off on her own, you know, there'd be a million other things to distract her that, that don't involve writing lyrics. It's like you have to be disciplined to get, it's like anything in life, you know, fixing a car. Well, I'll just go and make a cup of tea and I'll watch EastEnders. You've got to fix the car, fix the car, you know. These things all require skill. It's, it's um, yeah, it's bizarre to me to think of it any other way, really. 
Sure. So each uh, Lonely Robot album is is not really a true concept per se, but more of a, a thematic album with each song tackling different sorts of topics and maybe not, you know, the bin man yeah. and leave, forgetting to put your bins out. But um, can you speak about how Under Stars sort of slides into that trilogy and, and a little bit about the astronaut character and all of that? Well, the astronaut character is just a metaphor for humankind. And that's very easy to say and <laughs> much more hard to explain away. But, you know, it, I always I like, you know, if there's if, if there's anything that can define humankind, you know, and it's sense of, sense of endeavor or sense of adventure. It's a guy in a spacesuit. You know, he doesn't know what's coming, and yeah, it's it's. I don't know. It's 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 a sense of sort of. I suppose astronauts represent a sense of achievement, and in itself, that's ironic because actually, how you know what have we achieved? Yes, we've achieved incredible, you know, um, technological advancements over the years, but. Uh, I don't think, as, as as a species, you know, I don't think we have advanced that much, really. I mean, we've learned to manage our P's and Q's and what is supposed supposedly rationale and you know and and things that really, you know, that that you know the barbaric nature of humankind still comes out, but just in more covert ways. You know, whilst it was acceptable for Henry VIII to go around chopping people's heads off, I think you know now that's done a lot more. Uh, and I, I don't mean to suggest that you know anybody goes around chopping people's heads off i'm sure they do but you know it, it's accepted that that's actually not politically correct yeah. now it's just figurative. chopping people yeah now it's figurative but then you know you get i mean i watched the film recently about um you know a, a film called vice which is about uh vice president cheney and it was quite interesting to see you know i mean how much of it is true we don't know but certainly the narrative is supposed to be engaging and entertaining same people that made the film The Big Short, and I found that incredibly entertaining. But the point they're trying to make is, look, all this stuff goes on, it's just you don't know about it now. Whereas before, you know, we didn't have email and social media, and you, you couldn't have a, a social media uprising like you could in, you know, well, now you can, which you couldn't have in 1500. So you don't have time for people, you know, for simple people to go, oh, you know, that seems unfair. So, you know, this is how they used to quell uprisings because people from this town didn't go against people from that town because they didn't know that this was going on. So now, of course, you get people united all at once. And if anything bad happens, it has to be a lot more covert, less people should overtake it or, or consider it, you know, um, against the best interests of, the, of, of their own agenda. And, of course, this is what leads to, uh, you know, um, people doing things underhand, you know, uh, of course, is, which is what the film Vice is alluding to, the fact that a lot of the things that happened in the uh, W. Bush administration were, you know, unsolicited and, uh, you know, and anyway, so it's more important, obviously, to get the, uh, you know, um, get people on side. So they have these focus groups going, what do you think of this? And what do you think of that? And that's kind of the point of it, isn't it? That, mm -hmm. you know, sort of getting the temperament of, of, of your populace before you go and start doing things that are otherwise irrational, you know, whereas before then, you know, Nobody was talking to anybody else, and everyone was going around uh, invading France, and nobody half the country didn't probably know about it. Yeah. But there you go. Anyway, I'm ranting and rambling, and I'll shut up. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's it's I find it deeply fascinating the way that human beings communicate, and largely I find it fascinating that we actually don't communicate at all because most of the time we're communicating, we're emoting, not even communicating. We're just getting angry about things and saying the wrong things because we feel a certain way rather than we should perhaps speak to each other rationally. And how do I know this? Because I do it daily. You know, I, 
I kind of I've got a short fuse and I say the wrong thing all the time. I'm not very good at, you know, uh, I'm a very hard work, as people might tell you, but I'm very good at uh, I think I'm good at saying what I actually mean to say through the remit of music, I think. It's it's easier than ever. And somehow we're worse at it than ever. And exactly. Speaking of films, um, one of the songs on the album, Icarus, is uh, somewhat inspired by one of your and my favorite sci-fi films, Sunshine, which I hold in the same regard as Solaris and Moon, if you've seen those. Um, can you talk about a little bit about that and how you kind of adapted the inspiration from the movie into a commentary on you know what's happening in the world right now? Well, I mean, Sunshine is, a, you know, as you know, is a very uh, low budget but dark film. It kind of in many ways, I think it succeeds as a film. In some ways, I think it doesn't succeed as a film because it's ultimately it turns into Event Horizon at the last minute. Mm-hmm. It all gets to be gorgular. Whereas I think actually the message they were trying to make was, you know, a group of people trying to reignite the sun, even though I don't think perhaps that uh, a group of people would exist at the time the sun goes supernova or into its, you know, cooling period. I don't think necessarily that, that people would be around at such a time, but it's an interesting concept and who would volunteer for that task. And of course, then it all turns into some sort of psychological sort of, it goes a bit B movie and, and that doesn't appeal to me in the slightest, but then again, you know, uh, I, I suppose, you know, event horizon that started out as a really good film. And I was interested by that and that didn't end up the way, even yeah. though I like the soundtrack, you know, the soundtrack to sunshine is by John Murphy. And I know the guy that did a lot of the uh, SFA, I'm sorry, the sound design on it, a guy called Dave Spears, very good friend of mine and, I, and it was done on a very low budget and that's what kind of interested me about it and and actually the, the message interested me so i thought i'd just make an upbeat 80s electro pop song about it because i thought that's the best probably way to finish the thing instead and on an upbeat message rather than everybody hacking each other to death next to uh, a giant ball of fire <laughs> <laughs> that'd be a that'd be a heck of a way to end an album though <laughs> well hey yeah exactly so uh, Craig Blundell, one of the nicest musicians I've ever met, um, who's also uh, your bandmate in uh, Kino and Frost, he's your drummer again uh, on this chapter of Lonely Robot, as he was on the first two albums. So uh, what's your working relationship with Craig like? Well, it's, you know, it's kind of funny because I've, I think I've known Craig for about 10 years now, and we kind of met through you know, Jem got him into Frost and then it's kind of, we realized that we kind of had a lot in common. We hit it off and we had the same sense of humor. And the, the funny thing that people don't know is actually before any of this stuff happened, any of this sort of lonely robot and before he even played on a Frost record, we uh, went up to London and uh, we went up and back to London in my boat all the way, 23 uh, locks. I don't even know about the River Thames, but it's got these little uh, locks, which, mm-hmm. you know, stop the, uh, the water level getting below a certain level and uh, we went all the way up to uh, Tower Bridge on the River Thames in my boat and we took it in turns to open locks and close locks and it was absolutely arduous and then we had to go all the way back again and we did it and that's how we became friends Um, and it was nothing to do with drumming at the time even though you know I respected him massively as a drummer but that's how we kind of bonded we kind of did this trip and we we kind of asked around he kind of yeah, we just became friends. And and then, of course, you know, the precedent was drumming. And not that we're not friends now, but, you know, it's kind of like, you know, we, uh, you know, we kind of, um, I think it was more important to me that we were friends to begin with. You know, I think that's always more important to me. I'm not interested in playing with people from the mercenary point of view because music, good music for my mind doesn't come from, you know, 
no place of or a place of no collaboration or no camaraderie i think it's the sort of interactive dna that makes music sound cool whereas you know a lot of people think it's like a football team you can get anybody to play drums and that's absolute horseshit absolutely nonsense you know i mean i did one gig without craig and much as the guy that i got to do the drums was a very good drummer and he was a nice guy but it wasn't craig you know and craig and me have got um, a, a sort of you know we've got a kind of uh an unspoken kind of, uh, you know, a, a thing, you know, and it's, um, he's obviously very busy now and he's, uh, you know, he's making his name as a drummer and obviously down further down the line, he might not be available and I have to revisit that again, but certainly as much as I can, I'd like to have Craig involved in my music as much as he's around, you know, and I understand that he's, you know, he's the man of the hour and it's my fault really, because I kind of helped get him the job with Stephen Wilson, but you know, you know, he might've done that anyway. So I can't <laughs> take complete credit for that. Well, and, and you're right. It is, he's kind of become a, um, sort of a touchstone of your music lately that, you know, he's, he's there and you know, he's there and you know, the drums are going to be fantastic. And, you know, like you and I have both said, he's, he's just a good guy too. He's just a nice musician. Yeah, he's a nice guy. Yeah. You know, he's like, he's very much like me in, in ways, in, in many ways he's insecure and he's, you know, he's got the same insecurities that I do, but I understand that and he understands me and we, we kind of, we kind of, bounce off each other and he understands my music you know and he knows how to make you know he's like he's like the keith moon of prog or something you know he kind of understands how to make things you know he, he plays across the beat when you least expect it and sometimes you just want four on the floor but actually you don't because that's not what my music's about it's kind of he kind of brings an added dimension to my music and i kind of find it exciting to listen to so you know i can't he's, he's you know it's, it's more than although i want to just you know re-emphasize it's more than his drumming ability he is just Something that I get on with, and I don't get on with that many people. I've <laughs> <laughs> so it's good to get on with somebody that you know. Even though he likes football, and I hate football, you know, we we do have a bond. Yeah, and uh, one of your Lonely Robot live band members uh, joined you on this album. That was uh, Steve yeah. Vances on bass. Pretty cool. You're including that aspect of the band in the studio album. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, God, maybe next time we get Liam involved as well. But no, this. I mean, certainly. I kind of, I've been, you know, since I had the opportunity to make these records, I've had a very much shuttered mentality towards it where I, I kind of just basically want to do everything myself. Maybe that's not a good way to be. And maybe that, you know, that's a, maybe that's a reaction to the fact that I've been in bands for so long and, you know, everything's by committee. And I just thought, well, screw it. I don't want to have to do everything by committee. I just think maybe, you know, but then again, you kind of realize slowly, perhaps, you know, other people's DNA on albums does actually make the albums more special than your own. You know, people have a, a unique way of putting their own perspective on it. And, you know, certainly Steve, you know, I gave him five songs to play on. The ones that I thought perhaps, you know, he could do something interesting that not, you know, perhaps he'd think of something that I hadn't thought of. And a lot of the time, obviously, in Lonely Robot, it's like metal riffs that need to be just face copying the guitar. And then, of course, you get ballads and he started playing stuff on those songs. I gave him literally about a week before the album was supposed to be delivered and he sent me some bass parts back and I was like, geez, yeah, that, that really works. I wish I'd have thought of that. And yeah. it was like, and it's kind of, I, I'll be honest with you. I mean, initially I was just planning on doing it all myself, but then a third party said to me, well, you should really get him involved. And we had a discussion about it, a heated discussion. I was a bit like, well, I, no, it's my thing, man. I'm going to do it all. And of course, then I felt bad about it because Steve's a really good friend of mine. I thought, yeah, maybe I should get him involved. So, 
you know, to the third party that did suggest that, if they read this, yeah, good call. <laughs> <laughs> you were right. Um, and it looks like you worked with uh, Paul Tippett once again for the album artwork and possibly the overall de- design. I haven't seen the liner notes yet. I've just seen the cover. Um, but I yeah, love no, it. he did. He did. He did it. He did it. It's his baby. And, you know, I, I can't see a time that, I don't, <clears throat> that I'm not working with him because he just has such a... We, you know, we are tapped into the same thing that he is such a, he got such a unique way of, you know, um, seeing things. And yet, you know, everything, he's kind of uniquely English like me. He kind of sees everything with the same sense of irony. And, you know, when I said, look, okay, I want um, this to be the last Lonely Robot album with the astronaut character. And I think it needs to be really desolate and really barren and bleak. And I want something really 80s in there and maybe a speaking spell and, and then he just came out with that. I'm like, yeah, that's it. There we go. And I love the little Easter egg on the speak and spell too. The the please come home. Yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. Well, not many, not many people are going to notice that unless you buy the vinyl, I guess. But there you go. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> I, I insisted all the press, all the press shots. I kind of, I did a bunch of press photos and I kind of, I bought a speak and spell for like eight quid broken. <laughs> and I walked around the beach with it. And afterwards I thought, wouldn't it be great? if we could just have Please Come Home on that speaking spell as well. So he actually went to the trouble of uh, sticking Please Come Home on all the uh, press photos as well nice. on the speaking spell, even though it was knackered and didn't work. So hats off to Paul. Yeah, yeah that's a lot of production work. Um, so you're teaming up with Space Rocks again this month, I, I believe, right? Um, what's, what's happening yeah, that's there? That's right. So, yeah, it's basically um, various, uh, a, a couple of people have basically put together a film and... Uh, not one person, but several people, and it's going to accompany the album. So it's kind of like a, a visual accompaniment to the album, and we're showing it at a cinema in the uh, West End called uh, the Everyman Cinema, which is near King's Cross. And, yeah, it's on the 23rd of this month, and <clears throat> Mark McCorkran from ESA is uh, doing a little um, speech about it, and um, there's a Q&A, and everyone's invited, and there's a limited, I think it's about 100 tickets or whatever, but that's how we're launching it, which is kind of a kind of a pretty vibey zen way to launch the album, I think. That's very cool. It's it's like the perfect tie-in. So uh, unfortunately, yeah. we're getting short on time, so I guess I'll just kind of leave this out over to you. Is there anything that tragically we haven't been able to cover about Under Stars or anything you want to touch on about quickly about Arena or White Star or anything happening in your world? No, like no nothing about? really. I think we've covered it all. I mean, the only thing I would add is that, you know, if you don't, um, I just I, I hope that people, uh, you know, uh, approach this album you know the thing is the difficulty with progressive rock as a genre is everybody it's a bit like the folk singer mentality where everybody gets hung up on the last record the record before that this is a slightly different record not vastly mm-hmm. different and i just hope that you can keep an open mind because obviously um you know there are you know sort of slightly cheesy 80s aspects to it <laughs> but that doesn't diminish its you know ability as an album i hope and that's all I wanted to say about that. I think it helps the sci-fi feel, though. And it's got a little bit like the intro track has almost like a 2001 sort of feel to it at times, too. I think it no, all comes absolutely. together. Well, it's, more, it's, more, it's more Blade Runner or Vangelis, yeah, but that's the point yeah, of it, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I guess uh, we'll kind of wrap things up there. I could pick your brain for hours, but uh, you know that's not how these things go, unfortunately. So, John, uh, thank you sincerely for all of your consistent outpouring of just fantastic music i hope under stars does well and uh, i know i'll be buying my own copy to complete my trilogy so uh, best of luck with everything and thanks for taking the time with me here at sonic perspectives thank you very much Justin, man much appreciated 
All right, so there you have it. Thanks so much for listening to this interview about the new Lonely Robot album, Under Stars, with John Mitchell. Once again, this is Austin Coquel from Sonic Perspectives, and I'll leave you now with How Bright Is the Sun from Lonely Robot. Remember, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe to our YouTube channel and podcasts for more interviews, reviews, and original content like Talking Perspectives. All of those links are on this page here at Sonic Perspectives. Once again, thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon right here at Sonic Perspectives. Although it seems like madness We cannot fear the fall When human intervention Is metaphorical The lights in this salvation Is dying all the same The simplest solution It's to end the game
sun. The blindness is in leaving.